Pastor Chris's podcast. Exodus 9, verses 13 through 28. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so they can worship me. If you don't, I will send more plagues on you and your officials and your people. Then you will know that there is no one like me in all the earth. By now I could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with a plague to wipe you off the face of the earth. But I have spared you for a purpose, to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. But you still lorded over my people and refused to let them go. So tomorrow at this time, I will send a hailstorm more devastating than any in all the history of Egypt. Quick, order your livestock and servants to come in from the fields to find shelter. Any person or animal left outside will die when the hail falls. Some of Pharaoh's officials were afraid because of what the Lord had said. They quickly brought their servants and livestock in from the fields. But those who paid no attention to the word of the Lord left theirs out in the open. Then the Lord said to Moses, Lift your hand toward the sky so hail may fall on the people, the livestock, and all the plants throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses lifted his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed toward the earth. The Lord sent a tremendous hailstorm against all the land of Egypt. Never in all the history of Egypt had there been a storm like that, with such devastating hail and continuous lightning. It left all of Egypt in ruins. The hail struck down everything in the open field, people, animals, and plants alike. Even the trees were destroyed. The only place without hail was the region of Goshen, where the people of Israel lived. Then Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron, this time I have sinned, he confessed. The Lord is the righteous one, and my people and I are wrong. Please beg the Lord to end this terrifying thunder and hail. We've had enough. I will let you go. You don't need to stay any longer. Egypt was a theocratic monarchy. What does that mean? It means that Pharaoh, their king, ruled by mandate of their gods. In America, we the people vote to choose our president and our representatives, our senators and our other leaders. We choose. But in ancient Egypt, they believed their gods chose their leaders. And it was Pharaoh who was the supreme leader of their empire that the gods chose. Isn't that kind of a convenient system? If you are the leader, <laughs> to, to, to be able to tell people, well, I'm in this position because God, the gods, put me here. The leaders of Egypt created gods to explain everything. 
They explained that the gods controlled this and controlled that. They controlled the weather and the fertility and the harvest. They had gods that protected the nation and gods that established the leaders and gods that helped the, the, the river Nile to flood at certain times to make agriculture possible and that kept the, the Nile back in its boundaries at other times. The leaders of Egypt told the people to pray and to sacrifice to their gods to ensure their hope help and protection. And these made-up gods chose Pharaoh to lead the people. So if the people believed these gods chose Pharaoh, then whatever the Pharaoh says, people have to do. Or else they risk angering the gods and bringing down their wrath. So So Pharaoh was able to rule Egypt with absolute power. Absolute power. Attributing divine authority to national leaders is one of the oldest tricks in the book. Kings and governments have used that trick throughout history. In fact, it was not until a wild bunch of independent thinkers that we know as the founding fathers stood up, put their ideas together, that they had the guts to really challenge this notion that that God established the king and you must do what, and therefore you must do what the king says. You will remember at that time, King George was the ruler of the British Empire. Most of the world accepted that a king derived his right to rule from God. One of the reasons why it was so hard for many Americans to break free from British rule was that everyone believed that it meant rebelling not just against the king, but against the God who established the king's royal throne. Nevertheless, our founding fathers believed King George's actions, his, quote, history of peated injuries and usurpations, as the Declaration of Independence states it, had overwhelmingly proved that he was a tyrant rather than a king operating under God's authority. And therefore, the founding fathers laid forth all their reasons why they rejected his rule and were seeking independence. And there we have the document, the Declaration of Independence. Our ancestors won a hard-fought war to gain our independence. And many have made tremendous sacrifices to maintain that freedom for the past 244 years or so. And we continue to be ruled by a government of the people, by the people, for the people. Well, God showed the ancient Egyptians that their idols were nothing. God could have destroyed Egypt with just one plague, but he opted for ten instead so that he could drag it out a bit and bring judgment on all of Egypt's so-called gods, with plague after plague that struck directly at the forces of nature that these gods were supposed to be in control of. Like Set, who was supposed to be the Egyptian god of chaos and storms. So in the seventh plague, God brought chaos through a terrible hailstorm, the likes the empire had never before suffered. Massive hailstones dropped from the sky, raining down death and destruction 
to everyone who was not protected by a substantial shelter. Egypt's storm god, Set, was silent, offering no help, no relief. Some people may know this, others may not, but I was not born in Georgia. I was born in Maryland in a little town called North Beach on the Chesapeake Bay. And then for a time, I think I was in the first grade, second grade, we lived in a suburb of Washington, D.C. And so I had the occasion as a young child several times to drive through Washington, D.C. And one of my earliest memories, and you know how your early childhood memories sort of stick with you. One of my earliest childhood memories was seeing all of the fabulous, glorious monuments in our nation's capital. Those imposing and, and wonderful structures of granite that, uh, that, that dot throughout the community. Then we moved to Macon, Georgia. And I remember when I was in the sixth grade in Macon, Georgia, having the privilege of going on a field trip with my school back to Washington, D.C. And it was a wonderful treat, especially for me, because I could look around at all my friends and say, I used to live here and, you know, to reminisce about all of these things. And I remember on that trip how beautiful those monuments are, especially at night when it's dark and the floodlights shining spotlights on these wonderful white granite structures and they just gleam in the darkness. There's nothing wrong with national monuments. By the way, the National um, Washington Monument is patterned after an ancient Egyptian obelisk. You remember that the ancient Egyptians um, built tons and tons of structures, massive structures, including obelisks that glorified the power of their empire and you know, brought to mind uh, the, the power of their leaders. Um, and I guess the, the, the architects that built the Washington Monument looked at those wonderful structures that have stood thousands of years and thought, wow, we should do that. Now, there's nothing wrong at all with statues and monuments if they are used in the right way. They help us to honor our heroes and remember the most important values of our nation. But we have to be really careful not to turn our love for our country into an idol. Um, you know, idols don't start out as bad things. Usually it's when we take a good thing and we give it power and value it was never meant to have. And as a pastor today, I need to warn you about something important. Your nation's leaders probably won't mind at all if you turn patriotism into an idol. Some leaders may be a little bit, have a little bit um, more vision and, and, and they might be more spiritual and they might see how this could be a problem. But many leaders would look at, patri look at you as being turning patriotism into an idol and they'd be just fine with that because it works in their favor. If they see you being an extreme patriot, they might actually encourage it. Because the more devoted you are to your country, the more it helps them. 
Why would they care if you choose to love your country more than God? According to Timothy Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Now, as I was preparing, I really struggled with this next part of the message. I, I went around and around and around trying to figure out what to say and how to say it, but I couldn't break through and find the words. And so I prayed about it and I asked God to lead me. And he led me to simply ask you a series of questions to consider. They are simply designed to make you think. And so the first question I would ask is, is this. To whom do you pledge your primary allegiance? God or country? Now, a lot of people, when that question is raised, they'll say, well, can it be both? Can it be both? Can't you be, give your allegiance to God and your country? And you can give your allegiance to both. Jesus was asked a similar question. Um, you may remember this story, but um, the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus in trouble. They're trying to trap him. So they asked him a question. Because, you know, they had hot-button issues in his day, just like we have in ours. You know those topics that you just can't bring up and talk about without making somebody mad? <laughs> they had those too. And one of them was, should you pay taxes to the Roman government or not? You see, the Romans were foreign oppressors who had came into God's chosen people and conquered them and were forcing them, basically extorting money from their, their land. And there were many people that believed if you paid taxes to Rome, you were, you were supporting an evil government. And then, of course, the Romans, the one with power, believed that you should pay. So the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus, they thought they had him, but he is the son of God, full of God's wisdom. And so he handled it really well. He said to the Pharisees, do you have a coin? <laughs> Apparently he didn't have one. So they gave him a coin and he grabbed it and he said, whose image is on this coin? And there was an image of Caesar on it. And they said, it is Caesar. And he said, give to Caesar what belongs to, and give to God what belongs to, right. Because the image on the coin was Caesar. But what image are we made in? According to Genesis, we're made in the image of God. So he was basically saying, give money, which is worth nothing, to Caesar. Pharisees thought that was crazy because to them money was very important. But he says, it's just money. Give it to Caesar. It's got his picture on it. But whose picture is on your heart? You're made in the image of God. Give yourself to God. Which one's more important? Money or your heart? So Jesus answered this question. And he also tells us that you can give allegiance to both 
God and country. But one has to be your primary allegiance. It always comes down to that. You have to make that choice. Who has your heart? Now, if I ask you to recite the Pledge of Allegiance, could you do it? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Stop. Why did you say that? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. You probably said that because for could be a number of reasons. Number one, that may be the only pledge you know. You didn't realize that there's a pledge of allegiance to the Christian flag. But we learned that in vacation Bible school. It could also be because the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America is the one you've memorized. And you haven't memorized the other one. If I asked you to say the Pledge of Allegiance to the Christian flag, you probably would stumble. You didn't know it. Why is that? Why is this the pledge you have memorized and not this one? Well, I mean, let's be serious. Let's be realistic. We all grew up going to school. And what pledge did we say every morning at school? Most of us, we said the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. We've done that millions of times. And we may have said this one rarely. Boy, the state has really done a much better job of teaching us their values than the church has done of teaching our values. Because when we are asked to say the Pledge of Allegiance, we don't even think about this. The one that unconsciously comes to our mind is this one. Why is that? A second question to contemplate, if you had to choose between being an American or being a Christian, which would you choose? Again, people will always ask, can't it be both? Well, of course it can. I mean, I think most of us would, would say that we are both Christian and American. And I think being a Christian makes you a better American. Some people might even say that being an American would make you a better Christian. But God will not be second to anything or anyone. And most Americans don't push this issue because it risks potentially pointing out that we really have made a choice. Or if we got to the place where we had to make a choice, we would make a choice and we would choose America first and God second. We don't want to see that in ourselves. We don't want to challenge anyone else with that thought. And so we avoid the question. And we sit on the fence. Most people will be both American and Christian, and they will be challenged to the point where they have to decide which is first. But if you had to choose, what would it be? Do you fly a flag at your home? 
Which one? Why did you choose that? When I drive around uh, the community, I don't see anybody, I have not seen anybody flying a French flag. <laughs> That's obvious. I have seen some fly uh, the flag of Dixie. And you might ask, why would you choose that flag? If you flew one flag at your home, why would that one be the one you chose? Most people in these parts would fly the American flag. Why would you choose that flag? Why would that be the one you choose as opposed to the Christian flag? I'm not telling you what you should do. I'm just wanting you to think. Ask yourself the question, why do you choose what you choose? Does it say anything about whether you would choose to be an American or a Christian? The third question, the last question, is a set of questions. Do you believe you would be safer living as an atheist in America or as a Christian in Saudi Arabia? And why? I asked that question in the early service, and people begin to immediately say the answers. You don't, you don't want you to say the answers, but it was interesting. Do you think we are more protected in the United States because we are under the watch of a strong military and live by laws, but in Saudi, Amer Saudi Arabia, we would be vulnerable and without protection? What if God specifically sent you to Saudi Arabia? Would he protect you? Would his protection there be stronger or weaker than the U.S. military? Do you think of safety primarily in terms of the protection of this temporary life rather than considering it from an eternal perspective? When I asked that question, we probably all immediately began to think of, all right, how long am I going to last as a Christian in Saudi Arabia? We're thinking about this life, right? Why did we do that and not think of it from an eternal perspective? The early Christians saw this life as something they would gladly sacrifice for the sake of God's kingdom and eternity. Have we grown so comfortable as to love this life, which is temporary, and the things of this world, which are temporary, at the expense of eternity? Just some questions for us to think about. I'll, I don't know about you, but I'll be really glad when this election cycle is over. We get done with the political ads. Some people are just going crazy. Um, people that are good people, kind people, compassionate people. Uh, but we get so worked up over things. And we sometimes do and say things that we've never done otherwise. Everyone is so ramped up like this election is the end all and be all. And to be sure, it is an important election. But perhaps... Some people think the stakes are so high because it will either preserve or damage an idol they have in their life. Their America 
will either be preserved or destroyed based on who wins this election. But I'm not really as concerned. I think it's an important election, and I will vote, and I already actually have voted. But I'm not as concerned as some people because I know my future is not tied up in who is elected. It is not even tied up in the success or the failure of this nation. I care because this is my temporary home. I care, but the stakes are not as high for me because my hope is in the kingdom of God. And whether America rises or falls, my hope rests in the Lord who said in Exodus 20 verses 1 and 2, he said, I am the Lord your God who rescued you out of the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other gods before me. Who rescued you? Who preserves you? Who will you honor and trust to preserve you in the days ahead, regardless of the outcome of the election? And who will you choose to serve? Joshua asked similar questions. After the Israelites were delivered from slavery in Egypt, and they wandered in the desert for 40 years, and then they entered into the promised land. And as they were taking possession of this land that God promised, he asked them this question from the 15th chapter of Joshua chapter, from the 15th verse of Joshua chapter 24. He said, choose today who you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors who they served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? And if I would add a word for us gathered here today, I would say, or will you serve the gods of the Egyptians? Or the gods of American culture? And then he goes on, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Amen.